Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Advancing Racial Equity 4.0, brought to you by HR Rewired and hosted by me, Shireen, the HR Conversationalist. Now, for this week's episode, I was joined by the wonderful Alpesh Patel, OBE, dealmaker for the UK Department of Trade and Industry, and also a best-selling investment writer of just a crazy amount of books. Well, the topic of this podcast, because it only came to me about 20 minutes ago, only because I know I can talk to you about pretty much anything in context to this and you will have incredible insights. But what I wanted to explore with you and get your vast experience on is this idea of how if we don't tackle some of the structural barriers to minoritized individuals, um, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're people in the business world, we are forever leaving money and opportunity on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you can see why, like you see how I didn't even need to prep you for this because like you're, you're ready to go. I'm up for it. You're up for it. So now I'm going to intro you um, because, well, you're a big deal. Oh, thank you. No, you are a big deal. So not only, because I obviously stalk people. So part of the reason, <laughs> part of the reason why I do what I do is I can stalk people online. You make it very easy because you're all over the shop. So I can switch on BBC and see you. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid of it. I know. I get people do say that. No, I love it. I can see you doing your paper reviews. I can see you, you know, you do some stuff on LinkedIn. But actually, I kid you not. So... I stalked you on TikTok. I was like, going to say, you've got to go yeah. to TikTok. Yeah, and listen, listen. not only if I know you've got a TikTok, so my 13-year-old daughter basically went, you got to step your game up, mum. <laughs> she was like scrolling through. She was like, look, look how many he's got. Look at this, look at this. I was like, yes, I know, I know, I know. I've got to step it up. <laughs> my, my wife and family thought it was absolutely crazy going on TikTok. And uh, for the first six months, I just didn't get it. I just didn't mm. get it. And one day it just clicked. I thought, right, I get it. And I absolutely love it. So I don't, I'm not very good at the creative aspect of TikTok. I used to, pre all this, I was the one doing the stupid comedy videos. That was me. (laughs) Well, whatever works. That I think it's an amazing educational tool. So I learn so much from it um, because the people I'll follow, uh, they're often um, sort of software type people. Yes. And I thought you could find the answer to any great piece of software by just Googling it. Mm. Uh, but you can't. Search engines are not as good as they used to be. And these people are really good at finding stuff, which are, uh, uh, it's been revolutionary for me anyway. Yeah. Well, no, you've got following. So everyone, I will I will make sure in the show notes there is your TikTok handle. Thank you. Like we can't, that's going to be the first link. Not anything else. I tell you what, it, it was a funny thing. Business Insider, I don't know if you saw that, Business Insider did a whole piece about it. Uh, and they called me a sensation. And I thought, I said to my family, you know what, forget having your own show on TV, all the rest of it. TikTok, I've arrived. This is it. And, 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 and I think one of them, my cousin, my eldest cousin, he sort of went, yeah, that, that Oxford education was worth it then. Listen, of course it was worth it. Of course it was worth it. So let me just let me just add to your list of fabulousness because everyone thinks, right, so basically Shireen's found a TikTok star. No, no, listen. 
Let me just tell you. So as I said, so see you on the BBC paper review. And what I really like about you, Alpesh, is that you're actually really humorous with with what can sometimes be quite a dry like subject. They wake me up. They wake me up at four a.m. Either it's going to be angry or it's going to be funny. You know, well, you do very well. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like they, it. They put so much makeup. I tell you what, they cement it on under the under the eyes. Um, no, well, listen. I'm looking at you in your natural glory, and you still look fabulous. So don't you, don't you worry about that. I'll tell you what. Good job. It's audio. It is audio. It is audio. But I'm going to take a screenshot and a picture because you know we've got to do that. We've got to glam, do that. Glam glow. <laughs> yeah, we can glow. We can glow. Maybe I can make it a little bit soft focus, blur the background <laughs> a little bit. Um. So, yes, yeah, so you, goodness me, right. So I'm going to try and rattle this off because you tell me what I've missed. Best-selling author. Cool. CEO in asset management. Yeah. OBE for services to the economy and international trade. Yeah. Co-founder of the UK chapter of the world's largest entrepreneurs mentoring organisation. Yeah. Shout out to Thai.org. Yeah. Thai.org. You are the UK government's deal maker. That's right. Within the yep. Department of International Trade. Yes. It actually says that on my business card as well that the government gave me. Does it? Yeah. Listen, get it all in. It says deal maker. People, you know, until Donald Trump came along, they thought I was the only government deal maker anywhere in the world. Well, you are the better one, Alpesh, let's be clear. <laughs> you are the better one. And then I'm we've also, we've, I know it keeps going. This list keeps going. We also have ex-visit, former visiting fellow in business at Corpus Christi College, Oxford University. That's true. That's exactly right. Well, listen, and, and still continue to be amazing. So as clearly that was like a bullet point list. If you had to, so I'm going to come to you now. If you have to sum up, like nobody knows who Alpesh is. They're not following you on LinkedIn. They're not following you on YouTube. They're not watching BBC, the paper review at four o'clock in the morning. And they also haven't read any of your books. And they also haven't been, they, they know nothing. What What would you say? I'd probably say the two most meaningful things I've done in my life. Um, I was an intern in Congress when I was at university, and we were working on uh, counterterrorism for um, Elliot Engel, who's my congressman, and he just retired this last uh, last year. Uh, and we were working and lobbying the White House on uh, declaring a, a certain country a terrorist state. And, and six years after we I sort of ended all of that work, um, 9-11 happened, and about 10 years after that, they found Osama bin Laden in the country we were trying to convince Congress some, you know, 15 years prior is a is a problem for terrorism. So anyway, that was very meaningful work. Um, and and you, people are listening to this, but you might just be able to see over my shoulder, there's, there's some US political... Um, yes, I can see. Uh, so that was meaningful. Uh, I'm also co-chairman of the Lumbar Trust, which supports widows and orphans around the world. And it occurred to me that being in finance, um, I, the bits that you missed out, which I have to mention because I peaked, I peaked when I was 29. And you might think, surely that was just a week ago. Of course but it, it was. was. Two it days was ago, in, I'll pay. It in, oh, it's in the dark, murky mists of history now. Um, uh, when I peaked, I had a, a column in the Financial Times and my own show on Bloomberg TV. And my wife, you know, my wife uh, asked me, she goes, that must have been great. You know, you're in your 20s and, and all the rest of it. And I said, yeah, it was great. But you then realized what actually 
was useful about that was that I gave me a platform um, to raise money for causes. Yes. I'm co-chairman of the Lumbar Trust, which supports widows and orphans, as I mentioned. And um, that's meaningful work. Uh, I've, I've, I, I'm also been raising funds for other uh, other um, charities. There's one which is very timely at the moment. Um, it's called Akshay Patra, which uh, supports midday meals for school kids in India. Right. Uh, and we know about, uh, we're going to talk about social mobility, um, race and all those things, I'm sure. But we know with Marcus Rashford and what he's doing, uh, that that has become an issue here in the UK as well. So I'd say those were the more meaningful stuff because I can talk about, you know, there's those achievements which your parents are proud of and you're proud of, and that's the inner circle, which is like, you know, column in the FT, TV show, Bloomberg, all of that kind of thing. And then there are those things which have social impact and are beneficial to more people than yourself. And that gives you the same degree, if not more pleasure, because uh, it, it has a broader impact. So it's got more meaning. It's not transitory. You know, it's not like eating chocolate and you feel great for five minutes. This is long term. So I think those meaningful things give me more, more pleasure and more satisfaction. Um, not and, and, you know, there's this theory that is any form of giving uh, truly altruistic or is it all selfish? Because in the end, you gain the benefit of feeling better. So yeah. I'll just assume it's, it's selfish and I feel better for having done that than just done stuff which which um, was selfish, let's put, you know, purely selfish and, and, and just go to the city, shuffle paper and make lots of money for myself, um, you know, which is truly selfish. So, yeah, there's been some good stuff, which I won't say, as somebody once pointed out on my TikTok, goes, please don't say it was for giving back. I said, no, it was because it made me feel that the li- my life is more fulfilled and more meaningful because I did it. So it's purely selfish. And uh, I think he liked that reply because I think he was expecting the usual giving back, being lucky. And of course, all those things are true, but nobody wants to hear that. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Well, listen, so clearly, like, I sensed all of this, which is why you're here. Because if right. I thought you were just shuffling paper to make loads of money, like in the nicest way possible, Alpesh, me and you could never deal. <laughs> no, good. I, I, should think, I should think so too. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I as I said, I, I've stalking you for a little bit and just by way of context we met through um, the Black Business Association with the London Chamber of Commerce and Industry when you came to just give us a little bit of a of an overview of the economy and opportunities and thinking about economic growth on the back of the pandemic which is kind of a nice lean into what I wanted to talk to you about because you have such wide-ranging experience as an individual um, as kind of imparting financial knowledge through your books, through the causes that you um, that you support and champion, um, but also as an individual who is of a minoritized um, community in this country, in this context. Um, so I just thought you've got such unique views on what does opportunity look like? And I'm thinking about how can we convince people above and beyond the altruism, it's right, you know, the moral thing and fairness, because all those are very valid. But actually, if we are talking about being able to seize opportunity and and all these wonderful things that we need to do because of where we are, the fact that we are still unable or uncomfortable to actually tackle some of the structural barriers that affect minoritized communities, whoever you are, means that we are leaving opportunity and therefore money 
if that's your, you know, that's your leaning on the table. Because I still think people aren't quite connecting the two. Yeah, yeah. The, there's two points, there's the economic and there's the justice argument. The economic argument uh, can be useful for certain types of people to convince them. And, and the data shows, I won't repeat it, and I've, I've done articles on this and, and drawn the data from different sources to put it into one place, partly to help my my thinking on it. You know, yeah. you, you read it in so many different places. Well, actually, it's quite useful if I just put it to one place for my own sake. Uh, and then I publish the article. Uh, which it shows in, for instance, my industry in, in asset management and venture capital and private equity, that when you're investing in uh, more racially diverse businesses or gender diverse businesses, so women-led businesses, the performance improves. So there's an economic argument, let alone that, as I mentioned in the talk that you referenced, you know, which Lord Hastings hosted for us, um, uh, the 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 the, the the benefit to the economy in terms of GDP, therefore tax, which pays for our hospitals and schools, would be substantial. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but would be substantial were women given the same opportunities at the same rate as men and ethnic minorities given the opportunities at the same rate as men. The, 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 the justice argument, which is it's simply unfair. There's an injustice if somebody were to be given the same opportunities as me and put aside uh, luck, which might yeah. come from, you know, parental donations and all the rest of it. And I, I was born in Leeds and no silver spoon in my mouth, but I still count myself very lucky. Uh, but if you put that, if you, even if you allow for that, there's still an injustice whereby two identical candidates, and we've seen the experiments done, you remove their names or give them English names. Or I don't know if you saw in the US recently, um, you just get a white person. If you're black, you get a white person to va- get your home valued or show uh, people around. Suddenly, the price has gone up. Yeah, right? so that's a fun. That's got nothing to do with. Oh well, you're just not good at your job. Oh, you maybe you lack the skills. Oh, maybe uh, uh, maybe whatever other excuse people want to come up with. And uh, uh, this was educational because for me, because I want to see what some of the counter arguments were when you've made these points to people, because obviously in, in our bubble, people are always going to nod. Yes. Uh, like society, they're going to nod. But so I took it to social media and I took it to TikTok uh, where people can comment anonymously on Facebook. They can't so much. And they're a bit afraid of, you know, what they might say. LinkedIn, they definitely won't say anything negative. They'll just nod. Well, you're, no, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong um, bubbles because mine, they just come for me anyway. And they send me messages. Oh, I should, on your LinkedIn. Yes. Oh my goodness. Really? My block list is like, do, 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 do. yeah. I th- do you know what it is? It's because I think because I've got such a big American audience, and you find that the Americans are far more um, vicious really? in their yeah yeah. yeah. I did I, actually on LinkedIn. I thought it'd be a bit more. Oh God, I'm in the public. I better put my public no. face. So on TikTok, and, and somebody had said. Where uh, and I made the comment about the lack of um, ethnic minority representation at the top UK companies, listed companies, compared to American ones. And I said, you know, Microsoft happens to have a, a an ethnic minority CEO and is worth more than the hundred largest British companies. Now I'm not saying there's causation there. And the hundred largest British companies don't have any brown C level executives or black C level executives. So. Um, uh, uh, I, and that wasn't causation, but they said, well, they should just try harder. Uh, and, and there are these excuses which keep coming up that you're not trying, maybe you're not good enough, maybe you're not trying enough. But as you and I know, there'll be other factors beyond skill 
alone. Um, equally, some people didn't even understand the concept of pro rata. I wasn't saying that, you know, allowing for proportionality, it was underrepresented, which is what we always, you know, I didn't think I'd have to spell that out. Yes, that but we do need for, to. <laughs> yeah, because they, they, you know, they, there is this then this counter argument. Uh, oh, God, you just want, every, you know, you're all just talking about it all the time because you want everything to be about you, 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 as, as if we're some kind of sort of narcissistic um, <laughs> minority. Uh, somebody, somebody somewhere listening to this is going to go, yeah, but, but you are, aren't you? You are. You're always talking about it. Yeah, I know. No, let's, yeah, we won't get into the statistics of the global piece, but in context of the UK, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it then comes to, you know, then you work out and you look at the reports, you look at the data and you say, yeah, injustice is, first of all, there's an injustice. So that's just on principle that we wouldn't want that. And that's what our, for instance, our entire criminal justice system is built on our civil legal systems built on is just purely principles of justice, not economics. Yes. Our legal system is built just on principle alone, regardless of economic cost, okay, to the to to a large extent. And then there's the economic argument. If you want more hospitals and um, more more uh, and better schools, you better get more women and ethnic minorities involved in the workforce so they can earn more and pay more tax. If yeah. I'm, going to be very economic about it if i can be just purely practical um if you w are working nine hours and you're getting paid the, the the fair wage that you should there's less of a tax burden on me so for selfish reasons alone i want you um not just pulling your weight because you're already pulling your weight i want you to get paid what you should be for the work that you're doing so i get uh less of a tax burden on me and i get better public services so, yeah, that's what I want. So that's that's the economic argument. And how in your world, so I'm thinking about your asset management, your VC world, and even thinking about the things that you do, you know, you, the Department of International Trade and all of that. Do you see different types of conversations that get that point? Or do you still think we have quite a long road to still continue to walk down? Um. So the Department of International Trade has been phenomenal in terms, in my experience, um, you know, in terms of leading on any of, whenever any of these issues come in, including, if we include in that LGBTQ, so we've got sexuality, we've got gender, we've got ethnicity, and, and it's not fair to drop, drop everything in because they're yeah. all different sets of issues. You know, it's like saying, oh, right, problems, basically, yes. in a box. No, that's not what we're saying. But whenever there's um, social issues, they've always led from the front on that side. So I'm impressed with that. In our own group, you know, it's supposed to be all you know, the perception of the, the civil services is white and male. And I know they've made attempts to change that. In actual fact, it's how I met my wife because I got contacted by this Indian girl working at, um, or Indian woman working at the cabinet office. And I thought, hang on, I just read a report. There aren't many of those. What the, who is this? How does she break it? Yeah, how does she? Yeah. What, what, what is she doing? So I thought, I better meet this person because obviously she's got the secret key code that the rest of, where everyone else hasn't got. And turns out she went to a state school. There was I expecting, you know, she'd smuggled in under some kind of gender identity mix match at Eton. But nope, nope, female school, you know, state school, um, not Oxbridge. Um, and she was ex-Deutsche Bank and Accenture, so somebody wasn't ticking the boxes either. They genuinely gave it on merit. Uh, but they themselves recognised there's more to be done to make it more welcoming across the civil service as a whole. Uh, but certainly the ones that I work with, because I work a lot with the Foreign Office, 
uh, and the locally engaged people from the various countries, yeah. whether they're in India or Turkey or Singapore. So I see a lot of ethnic diversity. And then at the higher echelons, uh, the deputy high commissioners in India, the British ones, and the one in South Korea just happened to be India. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I've been dealing with, the British um, deputy high commissioners happened to be Indian as well. Um, I don't know what the stats are for black representation, uh, but I'm 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 sh I, I bet proportionally it's worse than Indian representation yeah. um, in in the civil service. And obviously, I'm more well aware of Indian because you recognise things that you you are if you see what I mean. You know, it stands out more. To you. Um, so uh, uh, and within our own department and and the group we're in the Global Entrepreneur Program, um, it, it, it's unusual in the sense that and and Derek the who's sort of the, if you want to sort of put colours and gender to it, white civil servant, the people that he's hired just actually happen to be uh, black and ethnic minority and female. Um, so it's, it's it's and he, he, wanted, he said to me, he says, I didn't realise this, but we've probably got the most gender and race diverse team in, in the civil service. And I said, actually, right, we didn't realise. And that's a nice thing that we didn't realise. We just, it just happened. Yes. Um, and they're great role models. For the civil service and we probably need to get them out there more often to show well you know like the army does this is somebody in the army this is yes this is, you know this is what they look like and 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 that it's not uh yes minister which when i look back actually i don't think they ever had anybody of any color other than white yes minister. now that i look back and think about it uh and yes prime minister everybody was the same color that cabinet which yeah in yes prime minister that he led um wouldn't look anything with you know rishi and Pretty and a lock in it now and, and all the rest of it. So anyway, um, with private equity and venture capital, you all know, and I hadn't thought of it. That was the thing, that it is. what Because I always, I, I sort of joke with people that I said, look, you got to remember, my eyes don't look at me. So I don't see what color I am. I'm just sort of doing what I'm doing. But um, uh, you look at the data and yeah, I'm unusual to be in private equity. That's changing or in venture capital or in finance. Yeah. Um, Vaswani, who, who is CEO of Barclays, UK and their consumer stuff globally. Uh, well, he's um, ethnic minority. Um, Sheila Patel is chairman of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, uh, and and so there are you know there are exceptions. Um, Oak North is founded by a friend of mine. It's a unicorn bank, uh, Rishi Kosler. So you you do have this, uh, but but there's no harm in more and more and more and more and keep pushing and mm. pushing. Um, because you want it to be frictionless in any market. And I, I know I'm thinking of markets and we're talking about humans and um, careers and aspirations, but that's my background. So if we think of any market, the more efficient it is, the better it is for everybody because everybody wins. Um, the more frictions, the more obstacles you put in people's way, uh, you're actually losing talent. And if you want to talk in terms of justice, you're losing fairness in society and that builds up grievances and that can cause social problems and that means greater cost to the to the state and therefore you can put it in economic terms whichever way you want to cut it uh the rational thing to do is remove those frictions as much as possible like we remove trade barriers and we spend so much time and bloody energy removing trade barriers around the world everybody does we spent the same amount of time saying well what are the barriers elsewhere and this, you know, because with trade barriers, it's easy. Oh, that will increase trade by 50 billion. Yes. Well, what if we said, if we remove these barriers so that uh, uh, a little black girl from uh, I don't know, Bradford gets the same uh, ease of passage 
as somebody who was born through luck elsewhere. And you might say, well, no, luck is part of justice. Actually, it's not under most philosophies of luck, uh, of justice. Luck is not just simply, well, that's just your luck. Oh, so what? Um, well, it, you're unlucky that your parents were poor and that's because their parents were and their parents were. And, oh, yeah, we uh, we robbed your country's blind that's just your bad luck that you yeah. weren't uh, that you weren't uh, deciding to conquer nations right, left, and center under the sword, or or through a threat of, threat of a gun. That you weren't more violent. That's your problem. It's your ancestors' bad luck. No, we don't think of it like that. And neither are we trying to say, well, we'll just go correct things from four hundred years ago with a time machine. All we're saying is, actually, whatever color they are, whatever gender they are. If we remove those unnecessary frictions, like in trade barriers, tariffs, then everybody wins. Society wins. And if you want to be really greedy and let's say I was a right winger about it, I would say, great. If they're paying more bloody tax, I have to pay less and I get better schools. Right. So there's your right wing argument for why it should be done, let alone, you know, the left wing argument. Give you the right wing argument. That's why you should do it. Let them let them pay more blooming tax. Yeah, that should that should be like the, that should be the title, isn't it? We'll fix racism and all these threats and sexism and all those things. So we can tax them. Yes, yes. We need a slogan. Who was yeah. it? Who was it that came up with um? What was it? Build back better and what's that? We need yeah. the same person to do <laughs> to do it to make it a slogan because people go, oh, actually, I'm not. Are you, so you anti more people paying more tax? Are you anti that? Well, no, I'm not actually. Yeah, want more people paying. The same amount of tax, hopefully less tax for all of us, because it's the burden shared with more people. Yes, with more people participating. And and you know what? You're only paying tax on your income. And yeah. how how happy would um, somebody be a nurse? Let's take for example to pay a bit more tax. I mean, it's, actually, it's funny. I had this conversation with my dad. I told him how much tax I just paid recently, just to see his reaction, and he said, "Good." And I wanted to see why. I just wanted to understand why. I was, you know. Would it be because he said, well, that helps, you know, you're pulling your weight. He, goes, he said, son, if you're paying that tax, it means you must be earning enough to cover it. And that's good. And I said, yeah. That's it. So, so I, I, whereas my wife went down the route of look at how, how great this country is and how much they do for us and look at the hospitals and, you know, the COVID argument. And she said, you should be really proud because you're able to do, do it. Um, so don't even think about it. this. You know, she goes in past years, yeah, you know, everybody grumbles. Yes, um, but she goes this year don't, and then yeah. So, the, but with my dad, it was it was the other one, which is it's great news, isn't it? it? Means you must be anymore, and that's the point. I want people at the bottom of the ladder to be paying more tax, not as a higher interest rate, not as a higher yeah. tax rate, but because they're earning more, and hopefully on a lower tax rate. Yes, uh, 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 but what I'm really saying is, I want them to be earning more. Yeah. Uh, because it's it, it means that they can you know move up this ladder a bit more um you don't need everybody to have bazillions i mean you know i joke that i'm teetotal vegetarian so you know what am i going to spend my money on right i'm not going to be good at parties so what is it it's not going to be drink it's not going to be uh meat uh two most expensive things so what do you actually need you know you can only have one pair of trousers at a time you can only have one meal at a time so so you don't actually need a lot but we've got to get as many people above that minimum Yes. You know, threshold. Beyond that, it's fluff. You know, the extra bits that you might see on social media, you know, the guy driving around in the fast car, who cares? That You don't need it for that. It's it's the minimum um, because it's the it, – I think that it was Keynes who said, um, and, and to paraphrase it, 
to bring it up to date as well, the difference between rich and poor is probably an extra couple of hundred a month. You know, if you've got a couple of hundred extra a month, you've got enough to clear the rent, have some savings uh, and all the rest of it. You shortfall on that, you're poor, you get, you clear it and you've got some savings, you're rich. It's not, oh, I've got thousands. That's just greedy. And yeah. good luck if you want to do that. And if that's your achievement and it's measuring the bank balance, yeah, fine, go for it. Uh, there's all sorts of benefits to people who are greedy and all the rest of it. Doubtless, you know, they build companies and then hire people. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. Philanthropy might be. But it's it's just trying to get that bottom bit higher up. Um, so where I came from in Leeds and grew up in Armley, um, you know, you sort of look back and and if you could get – and you knew they were talented because I, I grew up with them. And then I look at my life, look at theirs, and I think, you know, they didn't get the chance to exploit their talents, not because they didn't have them, but because there were more frictions in their way. And and and, and that's, that's the bit that I'm talking about. That's not fair. Mm. Uh, and we want to remove that. And well, I grew up in Crewe, so the, the same oh, argument. Right, yeah. yeah, grew up in Crewe and had um... the military town, isn't it? The... Well, no, it's Rolls Royce. So Rolls, so oh, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people. Rolls Royce had it just outside there. Rolls Royce was like the big employer. So you either kind of went to college, did your A levels, then left, which is what I did. So I left at seventeen mm. and disappeared off um, to Manchester for a little bit before I found my way back into the university system. Um, but then a lot of people, you went and you became an apprentice, and then you went to go and work for Rolls Royce or Crew Alex because it's known for that, or the train station because it's like Crew Railway Station. Yeah. It's apparently famous. I must have missed that whole thing. So the people go, "Oh, the train station," and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> right." I think I've been to that train station actually. It's quite nice. It's big and it, yeah, yeah. Sort of or the stuff. multiple platforms that go off in different, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um how to solve it though so my last question for you before we say goodbye is in terms of the world that you are in now and what's important to you what are you championing what are you driving you know what what's your yeah what's on your priority list that you're going after so um in hindsight I should have been a human rights lawyer because I discovered and by the way I I specialized in tax law and um chancery which is the law of trusts uh, I won't bore you to death. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, all oh, right, that's great. That's great. Yeah, well, I've got to tell you, they are the two most boring areas of law, tax and trusts. Oh, and a bit of pensions law. Thrown okay, in. cool. That's very important. I swear to God. I mean, thank God I did those because then I left. Um, but human rights, uh, what Amal Clooney does for, for, for sort of members of the public out there wondering what's he going on about that area. Um, so it's about what makes you passionate. And what really gets me sort of what what or what puts a bee in my bonnet and, and, and annoys me in the areas, I, there's two. One is economic, but it has got a bigger social purpose. Um, one is my government work, and I'll explain each one of these. So let's start off with the the economic one. Um, the, the, the I launched a campaign for a million. It's called campaignforamillion.com. Uh, and it's to try and teach people to be better at investing their own money. It's, it's not to say to them, give it to a fund manager. Here's an app. Uh, uh, because I I know this space. I've written it's actually eighteen books. Yes, six languages. If I'm allowed to brag about it, and I'm very you can you can. I, I, I um uh, uh, and so I know this space, and I know what the areas are, which you know, and and the apps have limitations. The fund managers have massive limitations. So I want people to learn for themselves. At least they can ask the right questions about their own money, and hopefully know what's going on. 
because they're making rich people seriously richer. You know, the fund management industry, they're making so much richer. So you work your backside off at Rolls-Royce, your, your, your employer takes the money out as they have to, give it to a pension fund manager who charges a fee and underperforms and the data proves it. So I'm, I want people to learn for themselves because that's hard-earned money. Yes. And that bothers me because that's the area, I'm, that's the space I'm in. I know the most about it and I've been ca- um, campaigning for this since you know, through the books, through the columns in the FT, through my BBC stuff, through my Bloomberg stuff. And then I put it all together. I thought, no, no, we, we, you know, this has got to continue. So it's, it, it gives it more purpose than just writing a column about, hey, I really like, let me look at my screen at the moment and tell you what I read, you know, XYZ stock. I better not mention any stocks. Is that like, oh, I feel like that. You can, now when we start recording, whisper in my ear. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll go with Microsoft because that's an easy one where nobody's going to shoot me. Um, <laughs> So I could say, you know, I like my, well, you know, but more meaningful is, well, why don't I explain to you and teach you? Why? You know, yeah. So that's all completely free campaign where we basically took all the bits that were in the books and put it online, not just as reading exercise, but as videos. So I went to the trouble of putting it into videos. And and I said to him, yeah, again, there's a selfish reason to that. I, you know, you write a book because because you want to live on forever. You know, yes. Um, and so the videos are there for people to learn. So you feel better about yourself that it's, you know, they're going to learn and other people are going to get benefits. And then there's this great thing that happens. And I explained this on Facebook and TikTok when people asked, you know, why do you devote time to it? And I said, listen, dopamine. Yes. You know, you keep looking at your phone, looking for that number of likes. Oh, I only got so many views. I only got so many likes. Well, guess what? I'm human as well. And when I get people saying, oh, my God, that was amazing. That, you know, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, it does. It keeps you going. Guess what? That makes my day. And they go, nah, surely not. Like, well, what do you think I am from another planet? Yeah. I'm just as human as you are. I, I like, you know, like, you know, even if it's a 20 year old going, wow. And of course, it's easy to teach a 20 year old because they don't know much. So, you know, yeah. compared to a 40 year old on something, uh, uh, but still get the dopamine hit. So, there's that, but on a serious note, it's it's beneficial to them and to society because if they make more money, they're not they're going to have a safer pension. They're going to have a more secure pension. So that's one. The other area is on gender. Yes. Um, so I've written a book with my sister, which was published about fifteen years ago. Um, so this is not all you know new to me. Um, which was to help women entrepreneurs. So yes. the work I do with government, I make sure the companies I'm working with, and my role with government is to bring companies from around the world to the UK to headquarter here, to help create jobs here, to help create investment here, uh, to employ people here. And those companies, I pick up ones which solve the world's biggest problems. Yes. So companies with a purpose. Uh, so I've been doing that role for 15 years as well. And so that's that's something which, you know, really gets me all excited and, and, and so on. I'm, I'm really pleased with that because if it was just bringing, you know, rich people to the UK to make more money, eh, you know, yeah. Why would you get out of bed for that? Who cares? Making rich people richer is what you know my industry is about. But that you know that doesn't. When you're in your forties, believe it or not, I'm in my forties. That isn't fulfilling. In your twenties, you're just grateful to have a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. You're like, yeah, yeah. Bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. I'll do it. But as you're older, you think, oh, there's got to be more to life than this, and yeah. that's where you start looking for purpose. And everybody wants purpose in there. They want purpose, uh, autonomy, and they want to be able to use their skills. It's those three things, skills, autonomy, and purpose, which give you the most fulfillment in life. So for me, that's that's fulfilling to be able to do that. And of course, there's you know the charity bits when as and when I can. But to be honest, and, and I'll say openly, I've done so much of that over the last 20 years without I'm not bragging, I'm just saying it had I'd neglected business. 
So please don't think, oh, this guy just helps other people all the time, albeit for selfish reasons. No, I've got to focus on business as well more yeah. than I've ever had to, because I think I've neglected it too much over the last 15 years. And, and, and I've, uh, uh, and I've seen friends and if it's your measure, so be it. But if, if billions is your measure, I've got friends who've become bloody billionaires and I'm thinking, yeah, I've not really applied myself as much as I should. <laughs> too much of the good, good fulfilling stuff, the stuff yeah. that makes your soul uh, yeah. feel whole, as opposed to what they do, which is screw that is my bank balance fat and full. Um, yeah. I won't name names of who those friends are, but, but yeah, I thought I've, so I do do those causes thing and I love it and it keeps you going, gives you meaning in life. Um, but yeah, I'm afraid there's plain old business to be done as well because you've got to put yeah. food on the table. Um, so yeah, those those are the sort of things which I'm working on at the moment, which keep me going each day, make me happy. Well, thank you so much. You know, I could listen to you talk all day. This is why, you know, it doesn't matter that I've seen your office, like 50, 50 different variations of your office behind you. Um, so it just it's just having you here is no different to me seeing you on, you know, the various screens that I've watched you. So thank you for gifting me. Thank you for the wonderful work you do and for reaching out and communicating it to people and, you know, and, and wanting to make a difference. So we're cut of the same cloth and we've got the same blood running through our veins. So more, more power to you on all yeah, you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. What I love the most when I do these podcast episodes or even when I do my live broadcasts is the fact you can talk to people from all walks of life. But Al Pesheter's makes me laugh. Like every single time, it's whether I watch him um, on BBC paper news and let's be honest I just find like the YouTube clips or you know on demand and or whether I see him pop up on YouTube or whether I see him pop up on LinkedIn occasionally on TikTok but um, I've got dance moves to be learning so we haven't really got time to be following his sage advice it is just always gratifying that there are people out there who basically respond when I reach out to them and say hey listen can you, will you come and talk to me and it is indicative, I think, um, of being able to challenge yourself, I think, not to put your own barriers in the way and just give things a go. Like sometimes my own audacity does shock me at times. Um, and part of me wishes I had adapted that earlier on in my career. But do you know what? Maybe it wasn't my time. Do you know what I mean? And maybe the time was now. So I hope you did enjoy that conversation with Alpesh and do go and follow him on social media. Like you do learn loads, learn loads. And he does a lot to support um, entrepreneurs. He does, you know, a lot to support young people and charities and his own asset management business and his government bits and pieces that he does to support international trade. So a very busy gentleman that still found time to go and talk to me all the way in Kent, do you know what I mean, hiding from my two kids. So thank you for listening to another episode of Advancing Racial Equity 4.0, brought to you by HRE Wired and hosted by me, Shireen, the HR Conversationalist. You take care and I'll see you again next week.